Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's only one word that matters in business in the early days, and that is the word survival. Whilst you're alive, throw yourself 100% into whatever you do and make the best of this wonderful life that we all lead. Hello and welcome to the Voom podcast brought to you by Virgin Media Business, the ultra-fast broadband company. I'm Nikki Beatty and welcome back for another round of entrepreneurial tales, tips and advice. I apologise in advance if today's episode makes you hungry because joining me in the studio, I'm really pleased to welcome two entrepreneurs who've been serving up new approaches to the food retail industry, changing the way we eat, shop and think about food, all in the same mouthful. And those food puns and plays on words will just keep coming. And interestingly, I am over-salivating because sitting on the table before me are two plates of bread that are buttered. And I don't know what that's about yet, but stay tuned. There's your cliffhanger. Coming up later in the show, we'll be hearing from 2015 Voom Award winner Dan Cluderet to hear how he built a company with products past their best before. In the studio today, my first guest joins us from a company that's been changing our snacking habits since 2008, turning it into a subscription service here in the UK and following phenomenal success over in the States too. If you've received one of the healthy boxes in the post, you'll know, of course, that I'm talking about Greys. Co-founder and CEO Anthony Fletcher is here. Anthony, it's a joy to have you. Thank you very much for inviting me in. And in your own words, perhaps you could explain what Greys is today and how it works. Well, I think the problem today is that more people want to be healthy. And there are lots of healthy options out there. I think the problem is we're just not very excited about eating them. And I think the big challenge in health food is how do you make health food which is enjoyable to eat? I think that's what we really need to do. So tell us about your products. Are they all free of flavours and preservatives, for example? Yeah, so we have over 400 products. We release three a week. It's one of the advantages of being an online business is this very rapid innovation we can do. And you're right, we have some rules. We have our own stance on health. There's no artificial additives or preservatives, 100% GMO free, limits on salt, fat um, and, and sugar. So, you know, we've decided what we think is a good philosophy of health to encourage people to make those changes in their diet. And also with us is another entrepreneur whose concentration has been spent on delivering better food to our doors, setting out on a mission to fix the food chain and give producers a better deal. Like a farmer's market for the digital age and shouting, your supermarket's gone stale. I'm very pleased to welcome Ben Pugh, founder and CEO of Farm Drop. Hello, Ben. So explain a little bit more about why FarmDrop is so revolutionary. Yeah, thanks very much, Nikki. There are a number of reasons, really. One is that we're the first company ever to actually 
get all of the farmers to start using our mobile apps in their actual fields so they see real-time orders. Uh, you, you literally, when you place an order for some bread or eggs or fish or meat, the producer will, will get that order directly from the customer. And the reason why that's revolutionary is not just because it helps the farmers manage their inventory much better, but it's a zero-waste system. Every single bag of spinach, loaf of bread that comes into our packing hub has already been bought by an actual customer. So the idea of click to harvest is key here, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, There's a huge consumer benefit because it means our food is five times fresher than the food you buy from supermarkets. We've actually measured the time it takes for a bag of produce to move all the way from the producers to somebody's kitchen and compared that with the supermarkets and and it is literally five times fresher. Um, So there's a great benefit there from the consumer point of view but also it's because it's zero waste, producers are saving money from doing that and that also provides a benefit to the customer because we're selling at fantastic price points. So how did you get into this business? I mean, have you always been in the food business? Uh, Not really. Uh, So uh, my background is finance and I was quite involved with things like the IPO of Ocado. Um, I started FarmDrop predominantly because I was a disgruntled customer. I really wanted the convenience of Ocado, but I actually wanted the food that I would otherwise buy from a farmer's market. And I wanted it all to be wrapped up in supermarket pricing, which is now what FarmDrop does. Um, When I started driving out to the countryside to actually see what the farmers thought, that was when it got even more compelling because their pain point is just as grave as the consumer pain point, i.e. there isn't really any commercially viable route to market for a lot of the best local small independent producers. So when did you actually start this? So we started looking at the idea over four years ago now. The current format, which is working amazingly well and we're growing at a rate that we're delighted with, has only actually been around since the first quarter of this year, so early 2016. And it's the one that seems to be making everybody happy, i.e. customers seem to love it. The producers are getting a way better deal than they can from selling via any other channel. So we're really excited. And do you think coming from a financial background, for example, that makes you a bit of a disruptor and that's advantageous for starting something like this? It is, particularly in the world of food tech. I think that the investor community looks at anything to do with food and can get a bit worried and jittery about logistical costs. And so we describe ourselves internally as being efficiency junkies because we're constantly looking for ways to reduce the amount of money that we spend moving food from producer to consumer. So one of the things that we've innovated is electric delivery. We're the only company that's actually got a 100% electric fleet. And that's fantastic for taking carcinogenic emissions off the streets of London. And yeah, so all going very well. So... Tell me about these two plates of buttered bread in front of me. Yes, good. Is this going to exemplify what you do? (laughs) Well, we're about to find out, I think. (laughs) Um, So on the way here, I asked somebody to randomly walk into a supermarket and pick a loaf of bread off the shelf Mm. and um, some butter. And in the other plate, I've got some farm drop bread, which I'm very proudly presenting on behalf of Bread Bread, which is a Brixton-based baker. And we've got some Brinkworth Dairy butter to go on top of that. Um, The only real point of farm drop from the consumer point of view is that Small batch size food, local producers, the really impassioned indie producers make better food than 
the industrial food makers and 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 we're about to find out whether uh, the whole thing's uh, made up or where, whether actually there's a bit of truth to it. Anthony, are you going to join in on this or, you, or do you not have gluten? I'm, 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 there's no way I'm missing out on this one. Right. Well, I'm taking a piece. This is the... This is sourdough. It looks like sourdough, is it? Mm-hmm. OK, that is totally delicious. Tastes like it's come out of somebody's kitchen just now. Which it has. Click mm. to harvest. Click to harvest. Or click so- to bake. So click to, this phrase means what? What are you trying to evoke there? Yeah, sorry. So as a customer, you go on the the app or the site and you add your delicious sourdough from Bread Bread. Instantaneously, the baker at Bread Bread can actually see that order. And at midnight every night, we collate all of the orders and we send what we call a harvest list through to every one of our producers, of which there are about 75 currently distributing their food through us on the site. But then, then do you deliver... So if I just wanted one loaf of sourdough... Would you individually deliver that to me, or is there a minimum order? You'd, you'd pay six quid for the delivery because it'd be under our threshold, which gotcha. is thirty, and it would be either three pounds or free if it was an order anything over thirty. It's probably important to say that there are nearly thirteen hundred products for sale, so this is a way for people to do their whole weekly shop. But the products that really lead Farm Drop are all the really core local bread. Well, I'm going to do veg. this if you deliver to where I live. Well, I'm pleased that you say that, Nikki. I'd be delighted. And may I also say that you need to stock kefir or kefir or however you would like to pronounce it, which is this fermented yoghurt drink that everybody's going nuts about because it protects your microbiome. It's all about gut. So would you do that? Yeah, we are big on gut. We think the whole point of eating food from local artisanal producers, not just because it tastes much better, but because it is so much healthier. For example... So this second bread that we are about to taste, I know you don't really want to have the second bread, Anthony, because you've probably figured out, because you are such a food alchemist yourself, that this probably has many more ingredients than we need. It's got 16 ingredients in it, um, and about five of those are chemicals, uh, just straight chemicals, and the farm drop bread from Bread Bread has four ingredients. So it's all to do with just the scale of industrial food production. There are so many links in the chain. It takes such a long time for a loaf of bread to move all the way from a bread factory to somebody's kitchen that you need to stabilise that because it is a fresh product with some some chemicals, which I, for one, just don't want to put in my body. And that's one of the reasons I came up with Farm Drop. And I think as a world, not not just for posh middle-class people who you know eat avocados for breakfast, I think all the way down and up, from children up to elderly people, people are becoming more aware of choosing their food wisely, finding what the provenance of it is. Something that obviously, Anthony, you know an awful lot about. Can we talk about the beginnings of Grays? Or in fact, Grays.com, as it was more often known when you first launched. Because in the podcast, we often talk about entrepreneurs struggling to get their founding team right. And it's quite common for sole founders to struggle to find like minds. But in the case of Grace, weren't you one of seven co-founders? So the story is, um, I spent seven years at Innocent Smoothies. I was lucky enough to join it when it was very small. And what an extraordinary experience for anyone who aspires to be an entrepreneur to go on a journey like that with such fantastic founders. And after the Coca-Cola buyout, I was thinking about what to do next. I was driving my wife absolutely up the wall. My kitchen at home was full of food products. I had so many ideas about what I wanted to do. But then one day, a Grey's beta box, 
you know, they were testing the, um, some of the founders got together and they were testing this concept, turned up at Innocent Fruit Towers. Mm. And I was just bowled over because to me, this was a much bigger idea. This was how can technology help an industry I love, which is the food industry. And I actually quit my job. I got in a car and I drove down to where some of these technology minded founders um, had started experimenting, knocked on the door and asked them for any job. I was like, look, you've got a far bigger um, idea here. I'd love to come on board with you. So wasn't it something to do with Love Film? Was so, it so the you, gentleman who started Love Film you, who put this got together? It. So what we had here is a number of people from the world of technology. Mm. And this was back in the day when Love Film was all about DVDs through the mail. So I they used were to get those. Um, and, you know, the, the you know one way of putting it is they're unbelievably good at logistics, unbelievably good at how websites can communicate with, for, you know, with fulfillment centres. And um, they had a problem, and that was at Love Film. Their skills were becoming obsolete. Streaming was coming in. Everyone, you know, wanted to get films streamed to their iPad. Mm. So the joke was they were like, let's go and do food because nobody uh, is going to be able to download food anytime soon. So they were working on all these ideas about how can you efficiently get food to people in new ways. So it wasn't a passion for food. It was being pragmatic about the technology that delivers things at this point. That's the skills they had. Yeah. The absolute purpose was, hang on a minute, let's apply this to an industry mm. which hasn't seen this technology. Um, surely we can make a difference, especially to health. But it was highly experimental. And, you know, one thing I'd definitely say on both of the entrepreneurial journeys I've been on is you don't get it right straight away. People tell these wonderful stories about how they woke up one day and had, had a vision. Frequently, you're trying lots of things. You have lots of different ideas. And the key is to be curious and be pivoting and agile and all these different words. And that was Gray's in the early days. We spent a lot of time playing around with different ideas. We hit a lot of brick walls. The key was, were we moving forward? Were we understanding the relevance of this technology to help consumers? And having so many of you, was it a help or a hindrance at that point? So I, I think in both of the companies I've been involved in, Innocent had three founders, Gray's had seven these were very different people. They had a mix of skills. And the founders are often the most passionate people, the people who you know, found the culture and really drive the early stage business. So my advice would be it's very lonely to be a sole CEO, especially in a startup environment. Well, let's ask Ben because you're a sole founder, aren't you? So, yeah, I've been listening intently to all of that from Anthony and a lot of it resonates very strongly particularly the thing about pivoting and kind of getting it wrong in the beginning. We got it completely wrong in the beginning. We had the wrong product. Um, we were click and collect only rather than home delivery. And it took us some time to actually just get on top of that fact that the, all the growth is is in home delivery. That's solving a problem for consumers actually bringing amazing food into their kitchens rather than asking them to go and pick it up and and yeah so that was tough because there were some conflicts in terms of you know different visions in in the business um i mean for me i think the learning has been that if it's one founder or several they've got to be able to make decisions really quickly if you get caught in the trap of the kind of democratization of all decisions such that you can get to the end of meetings and no actual progress has been made in terms of decisions and that is real death to a startup mm. and we I think have nailed that now we go very fast and if the data is telling us that we're going the wrong way then we, we change pretty much immediately. Anthony let's talk about your personal journey a bit more because you come from a background in chemistry and before Grays you were a key member in the team at Innocent Drinks like you told us but that food and drink is obviously in your business bones 
So how did you make the transition from being on the product side to the retail side? Well, I, I think at the core of it, I wanted to make better food and I was really passionate about it. And at Gray's, the key was we had these technology individuals. We could do extraordinary things um, with data. And what I was really keen was to attract people who were incredibly interested in the consumer and the product. And one of the first things I did was go and find somebody who was an excellent product developer. And the sell to her was very easy. I was like, traditionally, in a food business, you may only launch a couple of products. Often you have to plan nearly a year in advance. Here, you can launch something every day. You've got your own factory. We can send it out to a consumer. We get data back on what they like. Doesn't that sound like a more fun way to go about developing products? <laughs> fun is an operative word. Let's talk about the products you sell then. Um, on our very first Voom podcast episode in series one, we spoke to Jim Misa from Collie Rice and Paul Lindley from Ella's Kitchen. And they told us some hilarious stories about developing products in their own kitchens and then having to pitch them to buyers. So how did you both go about selecting products? Um, I mean, do Greys produce their own products or is it a combination of sourcing? How does it actually work? So um, Greys has its own factory. It's actually the second largest in Europe. We're actually quite passionate manufacturers. And we believe to make a brilliant product, you've got to have you know, real passion for the process. So in our factory, we have the world's most accurate wear of natural snacks. We have a whole series of them. What do you mean? We it is extraordinarily good at weighing irregular natural materials. What, some super calibrated scales? It is, it is, it is the world's best. And the reason we have built this is because we believe that you can mix natural ingredients together. And if you do it very accurately, it tastes as good as something which could have been more synthetic. That is one of the core things we discovered. Give me Grace. an example of what those combinations might so be. So we've got a product called Jaffa Cake. And it's orange-infused raisins, roasted hazelnuts, and uh, dark Belgium chocolate. And if you weigh them together in the right way, it tastes like a Jaffa cake, which is really enjoyable, but it's also full of vitamins, um, fibre, and protein. Have you ever made a combination of a snack that just didn't work? Yes, we have. A, the all-time worst snack we made at Grey's um, was fennel and caraway seeds. And, you know, as I said, we release products every week. We like to experiment. You can get away with it mm. as an online retailer. Um, and um, somebody was like, oh, I think we should do something with floral flavours. I think floral flavours are break, uh, coming through. So we, we came up with some roasted seeds, which were kind of fennel and caraway flavoured. And, so um, they're both a bit aniseedy. They, they you, you are quite right. It, it, it tasted, it tasted and smelled a bit like a potpourri. Um, <laughs> but we, we put it out there, and uh, wow, it, it, it scored the worst ever results. Um, but interestingly, a tiny fraction of our customers loved it. And again, the advantage was we just made sure that we only put this in the boxes to the people who liked it. Right. But we never made it again. We only made it once. Uh, and the key is that we're a company which experiments and tries these things and learns and moves on with no blame attached. Ben, at Farm Drop, what's important to you about the way you select your suppliers? Um, and that is a really core competence for us that, you know, we are... Our brand, everything we do is is really about our producers. And so, first of all, we go out and see them. And we've got a really simple company rule that unless we take our own families to go and visit the farmer or the food producer, then they don't get to sell on the site. And the reason that we brought that in is because I'm afraid to say that the food chain is in a pretty terrible state in terms of the mainstream products and processes that are used to populate the shelves of supermarkets. And, you know, there are a number of 
bodies are kind of lobbying about this and doing great work. But on the whole, most production, particularly meat production, is taking place in a really, really bad way, in a way that if we knew more about it as consumers, we wouldn't actually support. And at Farm Drop, we don't get involved with any of that. Every single animal is free range. Every producer will retain, on average, 75% of the retail price of the food, um, which is around twice as much as they would elsewhere. And most when of all, you say twice as much as it would be elsewhere, do you mean a, a supermarket or? Yeah, exactly. So if you, if you, for example, you know, we take bread as an example. If you are selling a loaf of bread via a supermarket for a couple of quid, you'd probably be lucky as the baker to get you know, over 50p. Whereas if you're selling a better quality loaf of bread for a couple of quid on farm drop, then the producer is going to get more like a pound 50, 75%. So I'm interested to know how you've dealt with that part of the scenario because of the cash flow. That you yeah, have. it's great. And that's the whole model. That's why we use this term of being efficiency junkies, because we're 100% electric, because we are click to harvest. So therefore, we have zero storage costs. Every loaf of bread that comes into our hub has already been bought. So it goes straight through. And also, we don't have any stores either. You know, think of the costs involved in managing a huge um, portfolio of stores and, and distribution centres. We just don't have any of that. We're, we're using mobile technology and electric vehicles to effectively redesign the food supply system in a way that you can actually give producers three quarters of the retail price and also create a very sustainable and profitable business. Making a positive impact, promoting healthy eating, it's a key focus for both your companies. Do you feel like this is an uphill battle for you both or is it just a core part of the mission? Anthony, I'll come to you first for Grays. I think it's absolutely key that your company buy into the challenge and are up for it because there will be lots of barriers you have to punch through. So when you make your rules about what you're going to stand for, you have to stick to them. Mm. Um, and you Has have... it been difficult at any point? Oh, it's constantly difficult. And uh, it's a battle which every employee rages, uh, wages every day to stick to those um, ideals. You know, go out there, come up with creative solutions or batter down doors or convince the people they work with that they want to be part of this mission to produce this type of food. And Ben, obviously, you've already said it's at the core of your mission. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I think we've we've had some really tough times where we've had to pivot because you know the format that we're trying to introduce just isn't taking it, isn't working. And this whole mission around fixing the food chain, you know, animal welfare, producer welfare, healthier food, um, a cleaner environment. That's what has made the the whole team and I just forge ahead and get through the tough days and, and just make it happen. So, yeah, for us, the mission's at the core of the culture. That's why we spend so much time ensuring things like every product that we sell out of all 1,300 must have something to do with the mission. Either it's from an amazing local producer or it's organic or it's in some way much more environmentally friendly than comparable products. And it just makes everybody feel really good about what we're doing. 13,001, because you're now going to add kefir to Indeed the list, I am. aren't you? Indeed I am. Um, in terms of responsibility, you've already talked about Farm Drop giving more back to the producers. But if you could send a message to people starting food companies now, listening to this podcast, in terms of ethics, what would you say? It comes a bit back to your previous question, Nikki. I think this whole thing about people wanting to eat healthier is a tailwind. It's a mega trend. It's not going away. Over the last 10 years, I would say, just the amount of knowledge and understanding about the relationship between what we put in our bodies and how we feel day to day, it's just, 
taking off and it's only going to continue. I don't think there's anything that's particularly going to get in the way of that now because the evidence is mounting. So my my opinion is that if you, as a somebody thinking about starting something up, you attach yourself to the mega trends that are already out there. We've And I think that great ethics and sustainable food and healthier food, that's, that's a mega trend which has, has only helped us. I do have a question for both of you and that is... We're talking about, for example, this beautiful loaf of sourdough bread from the bakers in Brixton. Now, for a mother of three children, single mother who's really struggling, is she going to be able to afford to do something like this? Or are these businesses and what you do, is it really for people who've got an awful lot of money? That's a great question. And I should be really clear in my answer. Being able to deliver very expensive food to very wealthy people simply doesn't get me out of bed in the morning or anybody else in the team. This is about a new economic model that makes sustainable food much more affordable. That's the whole point of it. That's why we spend hours pouring over comparable pricing with the supermarkets to make sure that we don't fall into that trap of just selling really expensive food. If you're using a really modern suite of technology like we are, mobile apps, electric vehicles, you don't have to make this kind of very high quality food expensive and that's what we're proving. Um, and Anthony, in terms of greys, is your market very much a middle class market, an upper middle class market? Do you know your demographic? Yeah, so of course the, you do. So the advantage of being an online business is you've got a very high degree of visibility mm. um, and actually 70% of our sales in the UK come from outside of the southeast. So we, um, we're we a very democratic product when you look at the um, demographics. And really what we're saying is for 20p more than a chocolate bar, you can have something which is natural and wholesome and does all these other things for you as well. Fantastic. We touched earlier on how farm drop and the idea of click to harvest is an important solution in combating food waste, eliminating food being thrown away along the chain from producer to consumer, something that many of the big supermarkets are guilty of. Another amazing company that are doing a great job of combating food wastage are 2015 Voom Award winners Approved Food, a retailer specialising in clearance foods and drinks that are short dated. In other words, items that are past their best before date, products that would otherwise be thrown away. We recently caught up with founder Dan Cluderet to hear his story. Approved food is the TK Maxx of food and drink. It's the last-minute bargains. It's the place where you can pick up everything obscure. I think we offer something to the nation. You know, it's £150 bottles of champagne for 25 quid. Equally, just as much, it's cheap crisps for 10p a bag. We're a really wide-ranging company that sells lots of different types of products but all to do with food and drink and they're all short dated so it's close to and past its best before date so best before that's the guide to the optimum quality not to be confused with used by which is all about health and safety you know the driving force was just to exist if i'm perfectly honest so i'd come from a background that was very technical and software and electronics and all the rest and um i thought i knew what i was doing for the rest of my life i thought it'd be a very technical career and when i was made redundant along with another of a thousand people you know all the jobs that i wanted had gone so i had to do something different so i went back to college i finished my degree that i was doing at the time part-time and got this bit of paper to say that i could write software but the truth is 
I'd been doing that for years anyway. And really what I was able to merge was this uh, technology background with selling cheap food. This came from being like a market stall. So 15, 16 years ago, I was doing the exact same thing that I did now, but I was doing it on like a little stall. And I'd never understood what marketing was. And I never confessed to know anything about marketing until I started to understand really what it was at the lowest level, which is trading with people face to face. You know, and what I got to understand is that really uh, being in business it's about that you've got a product that you're selling and you've got this customer who actually wants it and if you focus on the sale you'll never get where you want to be but if you focus on understanding what the product is and well like a new wants it that's when you can grow your company um so you know the bit that i went and more sort of stumbled upon like and really enjoyed is that this uh, um, sort of like stop gap which was really like to get an existence and to pay the bills and the mortgage and all the rest of it, you know, actually became really interesting. And um, the internet was like a natural extension. This is before smartphones or anything like that, but it, it was a natural evolution to go from barcoding stock on and off my van to really, you know, going onto the internet. I think the biggest hurdle that I had to get over when I went and started on this journey was realising that there was no one out there who knew how to do it. You always think that there's someone out there who knows exactly what to do. And in this situation, they'd do a million times better and everything would be a lot better, you know, like if you could find this magical person. And I spent years looking for inspiration of what I thought it looked like. And the truth is, you know, they are like unicorns. They don't exist because what they actually look like, you know, like it's probably a team. And it was almost once I got over that of realising that, you know what, you're not actually doing too bad on your own. And all these ideas and all these what ifs and these sort of cul-de-sacs that you go down, that's life. And I think, you know, having the confidence in yourself, you know, just opens doors. I entered the room competition, wow, 2015. And um, at the start of it, you know, it's just one of those pipe dreams. I watched it on television and I saw the advert. And I can remember that I was sat there on my sofa, drinking a cup of tea, and I thought, I'm gonna enter that. And I reckon I might have a fighting chance. I think this about everything, but on this one particular thing, you know, like, I w if I wouldn't have done that bit then, and, you know, uh, filled in the form, I would have never gone on this journey that got me in front of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. The change to the business was absolutely incredible because I entered this, not just in sales, but in recognition. People within business are very interested in my story, like in the approved food story. Also, it opened doors, you know, like that people want to deal with us. And that's a really sort of special feeling that people actually credibly think that, you know, you've been put on like a pedestal. To anyone entering, I'd say there's no two ways about it. It's all-encompassing, revved-up energy that you need to go and put in there. But actually, you don't need qualifications. You don't need any magic sort of bullet. Like, you know, what you need is guts, determination, um, a real business idea that can blossom and can grow. And um, I think it's open to everybody. Dan Cluderet of Approved Food. And what a great story, bouncing back following a redundancy to build such a great company. And as we heard, going on to win an award in the Grow category of the 2015 Voom competition. If you don't know much about Voom, I'd suggest heading to vmbvoom.com to see what it's all about. 
And why not consider entering the competition in 2017 yourself? Voom is the most valuable business pitch competition in the UK and Ireland. And whether you're a brand new business looking for help starting up, you're interested in crowdfunding or you're an existing business looking to grow, there's something in this for everyone. Dan and Approved Food received a £100,000 marketing campaign as a result of their experience and, as he mentioned, gained a huge amount of exposure too. So go on, find out more about Voomers and how they succeed at vmbvoom.com. You're listening to the Voom podcast with me, Nikki Bady, and it's a food-themed show today as I'm joined by Anthony Fletcher from Grays and Ben Pugh from Farm Drop. We heard Dan talk there in the feature about how in the early stages of his business, he was looking for an expert to help him, someone he thought might know the answers in hard times, a mentor to guide with advice on exactly what to do in tricky situations. He eventually came to terms with the fact that finding that perfect person was about as easy as finding a unicorn and realised that he had to have confidence in his own skills. So I guess the next step in that process, in being a good leader, is learning the ability to let go and delegate, delegate to your team. How have you both dealt with that step? Anthony? So you're quite right. I mean, one of the puzzles of growing a business is you have to be a very different CEO at different stages. Mm. Um, At the start, you know, people are very passionate. They are the culture of the business. Communication is instinctive um, and rapid. And you're trying to solve the problems of the business itself. However, as it grows, you have to become a very different type of CEO. You can't be in every decision. You have to be more curious about what's going in the organisation and what's going on. Be better at aligning people, being better at strategy, communication and purpose. So that's one of the strange things. Sometimes you have to be a very different CEO in a startup to a larger company. Ben? Uh, yeah, it's a brilliant question. And it takes me back to about 18 months ago when... You know, I became the sole founder, if you like. There'd been a couple of other guys that had been involved. And then as it turned out, it was really me left by myself in the seat. And it was one of the things that I had to get my head around really, really quickly, that micromanaging and trying to be involved with everything was just a road to ruin. Your only hope, I think, as a founder is to get some really brilliant people on board that share the vision, share the mission, And then, frankly, get out of their way so they can do great work and feel really good about doing great work. As soon as you're leaning over everybody's shoulder the whole time, the atmosphere gets pretty negative. So I know, and I tell myself this every day because I am an obsessive founder, I do want to know every detail, but I know that if I do try and obtain every single detail and everything, it's actually not going to work. So it's it's something I have to manage pretty carefully. And that ties into the growing a company culture. It seems to be really important to both of you. How have you done that at Grey's, Anthony? And I think it's something you have to work harder at the larger your business becomes. So, for instance, we define five values which we think are really important to Grey's. And do you know what? If you got in a time machine and went back to the early days of Grey's, you'd recognise that these were some of the behaviours which were naturally in the business. Mm. But... By defining them, it can help you with recruitment, it can help you with feedback chats with people, and it can help you diagnose why some people who come into your organisation love it and thrive from day one, while other people can really struggle. So what are those five things? So we've got five. So the first one is be pioneering. 
We want to be trying new things constantly. Be curious. We want to be outward looking. We want to be interested in the space. We want to have people who learn. Be commercial. This surprises some people, but at the end of the day, unless you can make an economically viable business, you have no money to reinvest. And we would not have been able to go to America and be successful there unless we didn't have a model which worked in the UK um, first. The fourth one is also quite unusual. It's be resilient. You have to be very tough to survive and thrive in a startup and a scale-up environment. It isn't for everybody. So we want to be very clear that we want people who are going to come, take the knocks, but pick themselves up and attack the problem again. And the final one is be helpful. You know, I completely agree with the comment earlier. By having a great team around yourself, when you're trying to climb that mountain, when you're trying to kind of conquer that challenge, you can get a lot of support. Um, and it can become something which is a fun challenge rather than too difficult to challenge. I mean, those are actually things that we should all employ in our everyday lives, let alone in a business, aren't they? Well, I, I'd, I'd say those are things which um, the people who really thrive at Grey's, the people who come in and enjoy this unique environment, uh, who see it as a fun challenge or an opportunity to grow personally rather than a completely <laughs> stressful and difficult mm. um, environment tend to be the people who um, have, those, have those sort of um, characteristics. What's about you, Ben? I think it's a really tough one. And I th also think it's the, the, probably the most important thing in any company, the mm. culture. It's almost frightening to talk about it in case you, you kind of snub it out by trying to nail it too much. I mean, we, in terms of sort of behaviours... You know, we have team lunch made out of farm drop food every day and everybody sits around a big, long table. We're, we're a small enough company that we can do that. To Anthony's point, you know, as it grows, we're going to have to think quite quite quickly yeah. about that. But that just connects us with our mission. We're eating the food. We know the producers, where it's come from. It just grounds us back in our mission and gets us focused. A couple of months ago, we took the whole team out on an expedition to go camping on one of the farms that's one of our greatest producers, which is Perton House Organic out in Wiltshire and about 10 o'clock at night. There we were with all the guys who worked on the farm, the whole team standing around a big campfire, having just had an amazing meal that we'd foraged for and cooked on that actual farm. And if I could have taken a photo of that, that would probably have gone some way to have distilled the company culture that we're trying to create. How wonderful. So farm drops in a space where you're directly taking on the supermarkets. You need to have a really clear message to cut through. And at Grey's, you've also had to create a space for yourself. What would be your top tips for developing a brand? Firstly, in terms of a basic brand design, how much time did you spend, Anthony, getting Grey's? is right well i i think again um a moment of honesty is something which took us some time mm. you know I, I don't think we defined it from day one um, but i think part of a brand is listening to your customers and trying different things and talking amongst yourself and refining what you want the brand to stand for and how uniquely you're going to add um, add value in a market so i i think it's been a work in progress for seven years quite frankly ben yeah, so I'm not a brand guy by background, um, so probably I've got no real entitlement to say this, but I, I think that in 30 years we'll look back and all of the brand books will have been basically torn up. And the reason I say that is that the internet enables people to look behind the curtain that big corporates put up as their brand mm. and actually see what's really there, which most of the time is a load of garbage. 
you know, sports drinks do not make you healthy. You know, the foods that are mass produced and have lots of narcissism them do not make you think more clearly or sleep better. And I think that the way that we're trying to create the brand is just to be totally authentic and transparent in absolutely everything that we do. And the brand emerges from the product rather than the other way around. Well, and that, that comes into, so the user experience is such a key factor. Your shop fronts are basically websites. So how much time and energy is spent in getting those right, Ben? It's a great question. And we're thinking about it all the time. And we're not finished yet. There's a lot that we can do to improve it. The thing that we find most difficult is to try and just distill the story as quickly as possible and explain to people why this is so special, mm. you know, from an environmental perspective, from a value perspective, from quality of food perspective, looking after local producers. There's a lot there. You can, you know, you can see that, you know, to split that out into something readily understandable and bite-sized is something that we'll always grapple with. Um, and then I think in terms of the UX, I enabling people just to move around and find what they're looking for as quickly as possible. Um, I think we've made a lot of progress in that. One thing that does help us is only having 1,300 products rather than 48,000. You know, the people who are looking for us in the first place mm. care about what they eat and things to do with sustainability. And if those are the only products that we sell, then actually we're helping them out in the first place by only doing that. So going to delivery now, because for Grace, quite a bit was based around subscription, although you sell in stores now. Um, was it easy to get off the ground in terms of the subscription? So in terms of the complexity of the logistics? Mm -hmm. So this, this is why we were very lucky to have the founders from Love Film. Um, we are deeply integrated into uh, the national postal providers in both the United States and the UK. It's one of the ways we made this work was can you cost effectively uh, deliver a product with a great service? And that's sort of part of our intellectual property. It's something that we know, which is quite difficult for other people to copy. I mean, now how's the business divided? How much is subscription? How much is store-bought? So we actually sell the product in four different ways now. Ah. So we would describe ourselves as a multi-channel consumer goods business, which is which is quite a mouthful, but it's also quite a contemporary way of, of, of going, um, you know, selling, selling a healthy snack brand. So you can buy on subscription, mm -hmm. the boxes which come through your letterbox, the boxes which come to your desk. And that's how we got started but you can also buy whatever you want, whenever you want, through uh, an e-commerce site. You can buy us in retailers. And we even have a B2B service. So if your office wants to sign up, we'll send the snacks for an entire office to eat. Fantastic. So what we've gone is we've gone, we have a brand, we have a product which we can make through our factory. What are all the different ways that we can sell it to people? So you got your packaging right in terms of delivery, didn't you? I mean, your boxes are quite unique. They are. And again, in the early days, we folded these by hand and we were very proud of them. They were from a sustainable forest. Yeah. They could be composted or recycled and they looked very distinctive. And back to your earlier question, one thing I will take from Innocent Drinks and Greys is being distinctive, sticking out. It helps build your brand. You know, you wedge yourself in people's minds. But we had a problem. It was becoming harder and harder to fold all those Greys boxes. And we looked into it. And, you know, what came back is we could buy a machine to do it. But unfortunately, this machine would produce something which looks a bit like a cereal packet. You know, it was glued. It looked more mainstream. Mm. You know, you would blend more in. But we liked our box. So we actually had an engineer and he spent a year building a robot. And this robot can manipulate cardboard in 16 ways. 
and it's how our boxes are folded today. So we felt so strongly about our unique box and its credentials that we decided that we were going to come up with a unique solution to making it. I love these stories. Uh, ben, to delivery, Farm Drop, you have your own fleet of delivery drivers. What have been the challenges setting that up? Uh, there have been many, and uh, listening to Anthony, even with all of that complexity, I do sometimes think how wonderful it would be to be able to get my product through people's letterboxes, which um, <laughs> will never be possible because a typical order is £65 and there's a couple of crates of lovely fresh food and milk and eggs and bread and meat etc etc so we'll always have to deliver and we're we're okay with that because we've overcome a lot of the challenges and they were around being able to use electric vehicles and so we leased our own fleet of electric vehicles which we called vanimals because they all look like cows and pigs and chickens <laughs> really yeah and it was it's a brilliant example of what anthony was just talking about it stands out and people say what's that pigs going down the street so wait hang on go... just 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 to paint a picture here and a picture on the radio on the podcast vanimals means your vans are made up to look like pigs. Exactly, exactly. There are and there are electric delivery vans. Are they all farm animals? Of course. So what else have we got? Because that's, <laughs> this is wonderful for me. So we've got. You haven't got a chicken because that's only got two legs, and that. No, we do a have a chicken. We actually oh. do. We have a chicken. We have a pig, and we have a cow. And at some point next year, we may be introducing a fourth animal. A sheep. Um, well, I can't possibly. Um, but we'll be inviting our customer base to give a suggestion <laughs> on that. And it's a bit of fun, but it helps to land the message about yes. who we are and what we're doing. We're bringing you know, the farm into the city, and that's the whole point of Farm Drop. And we use thermal packaging because that's the only way that you can actually use electric in conjunction with, with chilled goods. And we have a zero packaging option whereby when the delivery driver, who we call the farm drop, comes into people's kitchens, he'll actually unpack everything onto the table or the sideboard and then take everything away. Do you so, have to tip him? No, you don't have to. He'd like it if you did, but you absolutely no obligation. Just good to know the etiquette in yeah, these new indeed. evolving situations. Uh, Anthony, you have, or you've already mentioned that you've rolled out the service in the US now. How much of a challenge was that? It was very challenging. Um, and I think what was useful, though, is we were a technology company. And I do believe that technology is making it easier to internationalize a business. I have certainly been involved in some um, forays into uh, forays abroad, which have been very challenging. So we really thought about if we're going to go and go to America, how are we going to do it? And what we actually ended up doing was creating a minimum viable product test. So two of our developers were locked in a room for eight weeks. I may have even hung a sign on the door saying, do not disturb them. Mm. And they built a minimum viable site for, for America. Mm. And we opened the site in America and uh, you know, flew our British product through international airmail. This was completely uneconomically viable. We did not do this to make money. We did this to learn about our customers and to gather data. We gathered nearly 100 key performance indicators. And what this meant is we could get confident of spending basically every penny we had in our bank account to go to America and exactly where we should direct it to be successful. So, Ben, Farm Drop currently serves London. 
Any plans to expand? Yeah. Those vanimals have to be going up <laughs> yeah, and down motorways, to, don't they? We need they? to set them free. Um, so, yeah, we definitely want to expand outside of London. You know, London first is really about proving the model, getting the unit economics right, making sure that you can persuade the world, frankly, that this new revolutionary model works on a standalone basis. And then as we scale, we'll open hubs around the United Kingdom, but they'll all be powered off the same tech platform that we've built in the mothership which is down in southeast london and it really is a tech company in that respect with each new hub you open in say manchester or mm. birmingham or leeds um it will be just like the hub we have in bermondsey it's just a box that's the size of a couple of tennis courts food in food out so you can keep it really simple and it's all powered off the same tech also presumably when my neighbors see a little piggy coming down my laneway they'll be so fascinated they'll want to find out more pig on wheels <laughs> exactly yeah that's the whole point I can't get over the vanimals thing that's just wonderful to me um, everybody now, loves a pun don't they yeah we do yeah. we do or in fact would that top be top marketing tip a neo- <laughs> neologism wouldn't it because you're combining two words is oh, that I'm what a scientist you as you've said <laughs> You're a scientist. So I don't know about neologians. But you're, you are a foodie too, both of you. Um, at this point in the podcast, I like to ask whether you've got tips for each other. So, Anthony, having listened to Ben's journey so far with Farm Drop, have you got any tips, any advice, or perhaps you've got a question to ask? Well, I think it sounds, you know, an absolutely fantastic um, um, endeavour. Uh, I, I, I think the key thing he already knows which is be curious about your customers be willing to change you know time and capital are short when you're starting a business um, and you've got to make a few gut calls that's really good advice um what about you ben the other way around anything that you have in terms of advice tips questions of anthony no i think anthony and grays have been around for a a lot longer than farm drop and achieved a lot more. So I, I wouldn't be so bold as to offer any advice. Any questions? I don't think it's my place, but I do have a question, oh. which is, which is, is what next actually for Grays? Yep. So the, the uh, it's actually got all, all very straightforward for us. So what we've found is that as an online business, you expand internationally. It lets you build your data. It lets you change your product to suit the local market, and it lets you build your brand. And then once you've established yourself in a market, you expand the number of channels you sell through. So, for instance, in the last six weeks, we've started to launch into American retail stores. And that's because we've been in America online for three years. And we think we know what U.S. customers want, which is not on shelf. And we've taken those products and we've gone to some of the country's biggest retailers and they've started to put us on shelf. What I love about both of you is that you are intent on making us healthier in all these places that you feed us and deliver to us. It's fantastic. What would you say have been your biggest failures in business? People always, when they listen to this podcast, are fascinated, not out of some sense of schadenfreude, but to know how you navigate a failure. Anthony, is there anything that springs to mind as a story that you just sort of went, oh, my goodness, how am I going to get over this? In terms of, you know, if I could get in a time machine and I could go back and I'd give myself some advice, I, I think it would be a, back to this idea of how you have to evolve your style as a CEO with the size of the business. And um, I underestimated the extent to which I had to look myself in the mirror and decide how much I was going to change if I wanted to remain the CEO and Grays was going to continue um, flourishing. In terms of setbacks, my gosh, you know, so many. Um, You know, Royal Mail postal strikes, 
um, you know, being a, a you know a, a, a very distinct memory. You know, if your boxes aren't getting through, how yeah. on earth do you have a business model as an as, a, as an online business? But as I said, you've got to be resilient. You've got to rely on the team. You've got to be creative, and you've got to keep on going. What about you, Ben? Um, <laughs> I, th- I yeah. know it's early days. <laughs> yeah, well, so I actually my failure, I think, was not being hard enough on my own product in the early days so because the mission was so strong and it was all about giving much greater support to local farmers and environmental concerns I thought that I could ask customers for a favor hey look we're trying to do a really good thing so therefore please incur a lot of inconvenience by going to pick up the food and that was in the early this is the click and collect and it was just and it was just nonsense i think and if you're in any way serious about building any kind of b2c business you have to be completely extremist in your views that it has to solve a very tangible problem for for a consumer and i think we should have figured that out sooner i have to be measured you know we're in great shape now everything's is going better than we could have really expected. But I think we could have done a bit faster thinking back then. And what do you both see as new and exciting areas in terms of the food industry for entrepreneurs to explore? Anthony? Well, I think it's changed. And, um, you know, I, I believe that technology is the most disruptive force in businesses, business. And um, it, is, it is utterly changing the opportunities in all sorts of industries. And I think we're only just getting started on food. Um, and I think for the first time, you know, entrepreneurs with fantastic ideas about product using the internet can bring that to a large market and really pilot those products. They're no longer reliant on the supermarkets to, you know, to build their brand. And this can only be a good thing. Ben? Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Mm. I think that the disruption is only going to accelerate. If you think that mobile internet has been around for maybe five years in in, in anger, and that means, and food, because of the complexity, has been one of the last shoes to drop in terms of internet-enabled disruption. But it's only just kicking off, and it's going to be massive. There's just so much in the conventional food system, i.e. the supermarket system, which is now obsolete. And for for guys like me who are trying to get a foothold by giving both sides of the marketplace a much, much better experience. I think there's never been a more exciting time. Ben, the hardest thing for you about your job? Hardest thing about my job is knowing when to call time on a team member Um, because sometimes it does happen Mm. um, and I don't honestly believe that any business out there has become hugely successful by by keeping absolutely everybody that joins um so that's the bit that i do find tough but i appreciate that it is completely necessary unfortunately anthony hardest thing about your job so i i think by far is it's impossible to get it right for everyone and i I think you've got to have um a relatively thick skin and, and and do the best job you you can but it is very very demanding as your organization grows to to make it work every time you have children don't you i do so how do you juggle that work life balance um and i'd say that that is just one of the things i mean uh, we have an office in new york uh, you know, a factory in Jersey, um, I have to do a lot of international travel. And it really does dwell on my mind, you know, how much am I giving to the business versus how much I'm, gi- I'm giving to the family? This is one of the large challenges 
with doing this sort of job. So how do you how do you navigate that? Um, I try and be incredibly strict. I try and build. Uh, you know, a team around you who can who can help you with those difficult decisions and take the pressure off you. Um, but it's very tricky. What's the most fun thing or the thing that you love most about your business and your job, Ben? For me, I think it is getting it right and seeing that in the data and having those moments in time where every party that touches farm draw, whether it's a farmer or a baker or a team member or indeed and most importantly a customer that they're all getting a sense of real excitement and fun because they've discovered this great new thing and it's working so well for them it's that it's those proof points that actually my goodness we're really onto something and it's working and the whole office is aware of it and the whole team feel really excited about what we're achieving. Anthony, for you? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little different. Um, you know, I reflect on how much I owe to my experiences at Innocent Drinks and the founders there mm. in terms of what I learnt. And nothing gives me more pleasure than the people who've come to Grey's. Been fantastic. They may have left and gone on, but I love to see them when they go on and succeed. And I get really excited when they say, oh, my word, Gray's really helped me because it taught me the skills or this way of thinking or gave me the confidence to go off and be an entrepreneur. That's what I find really satisfying today. Well, this has been delicious and edifying. It's been a delight to sit in the podcast studio with both of you and to learn so much. So thank you, Anthony Fletcher from Grays and Ben Hugh from Farm Drop. And remember, if you enjoyed this episode, there's plenty more. You can check out our previous shows on iTunes or at virgin.com. And make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. The Voom Podcast is a Pixie production for Virgin Media Business, the ultra-fast broadband company, and we'll be back in two weeks' time. For now, from me, Nikki Beatty, goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 